Millridge.com. Is it Millridge or Millridgefarm.com? Hey everybody, happy Travers Day. We're here at the Brentwood. Before we get the show started, want to thank some sponsors, starting with the place we sit, the Farrier Bar, right here at the Brentwood. Ooh, we're getting a chance right away to see if the feedback cuts out the audio like it did the other night. Hopefully it did not. Um, Farrier Bar, great place. Some audio difficulties. We're working on them. They'll be fixed by next year. But it is an amazing place to come get a cocktail when you're in Saratoga. Brentwood, also a great place to stay. It doesn't just have to be during the meet. You can come here all year round, great place to experience Saratoga. We also really want to thank our friends who sponsor all of the pro player roundtables we do. Mill Ridge Farm, they're doing great right now. Oscar Performance, their sire, his uh, babies are looking good out there on the racetrack. And what we really love about Mill Ridge Farm is this is a place that really understands the importance of horse players, both Price Bell and his dad, uh, Heedley. They really understand the link and the key role that we as horse players play in this process. If you have questions about the racing industry, looking to get involved, if you want to tour a beautiful farm, Mill Ridge is a place that I would highly suggest checking out. To learn more about them, you can go to millridge.com. We also want to thank our sponsors from Jellyfish Water, who uh, we have here on the bars. We've said many times it's not the 40 days of Saratoga that gets you. It's the 40 nights, and you can combat that to some degree by refreshing and renewing with jellyfish water, which we have right here at the Brentwood. If you're in the live crowd today, maybe grab one after uh, we finish the show. All right, we'll thank a few more sponsors as we get into things, but now it's time, to, if Marcus, if you're feeling okay about that incredible amount of feedback I'm hearing, time to <laughs> get on with the song whenever you're ready. Here I am! Hello and welcome to Travers Day at the Farrier Bar. This is a modified version of our Pro Players Roundtable show. We're going to have those guys up here in just a couple minutes' time. But I wanted to start off this Travers Day and what feels like a particularly uh, special Travers Day as pandemic has moved into endemic and the vibes are really good around town with a little benediction, a little blessing, a little poetry reading, if you will. And we bring in our friend from Lexington, Kentucky to do that with us. This is John Cox. John, how are things? Doing well, Pete. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, excited to be in the spa always. And uh, yeah, no, it's no place better this time of year. I mean, it's it's incredible. This is actually my first Traverse, so. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I come up, you know, usually for Whitney and, and the Phasic Sale. I've been up for opening weekend a couple times, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. That's great. Tell us a little bit about how this poem came about. I believe I first read it in the New York Times. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it was pretty random, but, um, you know, last year around the Whitney and, and the sales just had an incredible trip. I mean, you know, got to go into the, the clubhouse uh, place, uh, Saul Cuban's place. It was pretty nice. I mean, was hanging out with uh, Johnny V and Mike Smith one night. I mean, and then I, I played golf randomly with like the senior 
Executive Vice President of ESPN Production, like the first, first producer of Sports Center, just got randomly paired with. That's him, so. so fun. And yeah, I mean, you know, you all, meet all kinds of interesting types. It's, up it's here. cool, yeah. And I mean, I I've been coming up here since I was a kid, so it's I mean, special place for me. It's my happy happy spot, especially in the summer. So you mind doing a little reading for no, us? No, absolutely. I want, I, I want folks to to get these vibes. Yeah. So I mean, this trip. Like, let me preface it just a little bit more sure. by saying, you know, we were staying at an Airbnb a couple blocks from the track, and it's. A little older, you know, a lot of antiques, a lot of memorabilia of the uh, actual town on the walls. And so, you know, the, the fourth day of my trip, I'm, you know, somewhere between hungover and maybe still a little tipsy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I see this old looking, uh, I guess, guest book with brown paper pages in it. And so I'm like, I'm going to, this is kind of inspiring. I'm going to scratch something out here on this. So I put it on my Instagram story as I'm leaving, and uh, Tom Law from the Saratoga Special responded. He's like, hey, type that up and send it to me. So I'm like, okay. I was like, well, man, I, there's probably a few other people I can send this to since I'm doing it. And I, I sent it to Joe Drape at the Times, and yeah, he bit. So it was uh, it was nice. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty cool. So I was one for one uh, poems being published in the New York Times. Well, that's not bad. And when guys <laughs> like uh, Joe Drape and Tom Law are liking your work, you yeah. know you're doing something right. Right. If you will, grace us with, yes. with a little reading. What do we call the poem? It's just called simply Saratoga. Just Saratoga. So, um, yeah, it's almost like a love-hate letter, basically. So. <laughs> a passionate lover and a sworn nemesis. Love to see her come. Hate to watch her leave. Ponies win and lose. Money comes and goes, but mostly it just goes. <laughs> Whether hobnobbing with the suits or slumming with the scabs, we're here for the same things, really. Mostly thrills and laughs. And when the party's over, it's back to the bluegrass I go. See you next year, next summer, my lovely friend and foe. So, that's, that's great. Yeah, no. John Cox, thank yeah. you so no, much. A, yeah, a lot of fun. That's the way to start us off yeah. today. Yeah. We, we've clearly established the ground rules. It's uh, it's it's dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. It's, Absolutely. It's parimutuel betting. Very hard to come out on the right side of it. Yeah. But our next two guests are going to help us do Let's just go. that. We hope if they're, you know, of course... Uh, Past performance, never any guarantee of future results, but when it comes to all things related to these biggest days of racing, we always like to get these two on board here. We'll start with the local guy sitting furthest apart. Maybe just shimmy down another. You're good, Sean. Let's just get no, our, our just the, the, lap, the man. You can sit in my lap. That's okay. Yeah. I, I think I can handle that. Um, this man has done a lot for horse players. He's also had a lot of achievements as a horse player, and I think it's safe to say there's no one more respected by the horse player community than NHC champion Paul Matisse. Paul, how are things? Okay. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. And a man making his second appearance on the airwaves in the week, uh, also one of the most popular guests anytime he comes on these shows, especially um, with his uh, seat partner today, another Lexington, Kentucky guy, Sean Barman. Sean, what's up? Nice man, good. The photos. Oh, which race? For the course. Oh gosh. You've already blocked it out. That's that's how the pros do it. Came five four one. I needed five four six. Whatever race that was. Oh, that's two year olds, I think. Yeah, that's disgusting. We we but you know maybe get that bad beat out of the way and you're ready for ready for action today. Exactly right. Paul, how's your meat been generally? Well, it's been up and down. No no scores. Weird. I had more winning days. Then losing days, but which usually is a recipe for a good meat. Right. But it, it's kind of not been that way because there's just no, no big scores yet. Grinding along, trading dollars, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, we go, but what good opinion is the bad part. This is when blowing gimmicks and not hitting the 
the pick fives or not getting the right result when you need it. JK and I argue about this all the time. Would you rather be in a situation where you're just wrong and there's nothing to second guess? Or would you rather have a situation like what you just described, where you know you're making the right decisions and you're just getting unlucky? He says he, he, he'd rather be in the latter situation. I'd rather just be wrong. Well, if you're going to be wrong, then you end up probably just quitting. You know, that's be the bad part. You just go down to Caroline Street and start drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or right here at the Brentwood. This will work. Or this seat right here will work. You know, but if, you know, if you want to keep doing it, I'd rather have it the other way. Yeah, So that's that I have, fair. A, have a good line. Eventually they'll come. You I know, it's kind of like baseball, you know, swinging. You know, if you're hitting good, if you're striking out every game, you know. No, that's fair. And I think that's how he sees it. If you're hitting it right, eventually they'll fall, yeah. you know. You just have to have that mental, you have to have that mental discipline. And I think, Sean, this is something we've talked about. Underrated ability of a successful horse player, the ability to take a punch. Right, right. And I'd almost rather just be wrong. Because I always feel like if I'm right, but I'm not scoring, I'm personally screwing up somehow. And that starts to play with me more mentally. And that can lead to, to even worse play. So I would rather just be dead wrong. And, and I'm thinking it's not that your perspectives, while flip sides of the same coin, there's some commonality in them. What I'm hearing from you, Sean, is almost like a supreme arrogance that you know you're that damn good. You're not going to be discouraged when you're just wrong. You're just going to want to focus on those times when you're really not going to I have been doing this a long time, and it took a long time to learn that I was good enough to come through it. But, yeah, I do feel like, you know, eventually I'm going to get it right. So, yeah, I'm arrogant, so what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive into this card, guys. Normally we do more general chat, both on the Brentwood Farrier Bar shows and also when we get together. But, obviously, time of the essence with this early post time today and we'll eventually get to an analysis of the big race, maybe right away. But rather than you know go in any uh, rigid programmatic order, I'll ask you guys the question that I usually like to on these shows in particular. And we'll start with you, Paul. Is there one particular sequence, one particular horse, one particular vertical exotic situation that you're really looking to get involved in today? And you're, you're talking about the stake races primarily, right? It could be anything. No, you could talk about anything. I think the early races are, are, are quite interesting. I, I do like a horse in the fourth. Or I think my brother already, or my son already yelled at me. It was the third race I like. <laughs> I like G Munning in the third race. That's that's kind of the, my uh, my play of the day. Love that. It's uh, it switched to Safi Joseph last time, and the horse had hidden improvement, um, ran really well, and then he came back and he worked from the gate with blinkers, and he worked incredible, and. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I have negatives on just the rest of the field as well. So I'm, it's always nice I'm when looking you, for that one. It's nice when it cuts both ways yeah. like that, where you've got the positive opinion, but also, you, you know, you know the market is essentially being made for you because of these other horses. Um, yeah, I think that's an underrated aspect of handicapping that you don't see. Like a lot of these stake races, I think I have some okay opinions in them, but a lot, a lot of times I'm not sure that the race. Uh, Races fall right where you're negative on the favorites, or you know. I mean, I I like I got some things I like about a lot of bombs in some of those races, but I'm not sure that that's going to mean anything, you know. And that's a, that's a that's a. But you need to you need both, like you said. What numbers are, is this? Jay Money in race three. Thirty four. Race three number four. Race three number four. We love that. All right, great stuff. We'll get back. We will talk stakes races, of course. But do you have a spot play on the undercard, Sean, or are you more focused on stakes races today? I, I do not. I just looked at the stakes so far. Gotcha, gotcha. You'll be grinding along. I'm, I'm and, behind. 
But I'm so good that I would quickly. I believe it. I believe it. Well, in terms of the stakes races, is, is there one horse that stands out to you that you're interested to particularly get stuck into today? Well, this probably will surprise some listeners, but I think Jackie's Warrior <laughs> wins this race. And I like a cold try with him over uh, Cody's Wish and Knee Deep in Snow. For the uninitiated, Sean has been a vocal critic of Jackie's Warrior throughout his run, questioning his late pace figures in particular. I was assuming he didn't do much in terms of late pace the last day just because he appeared to be completely wrapped up. What does it look like on your numbers? You know, he's really improved um, late in his races. He, when I was on my uh, tirades about how bad he was late, he was running on my scale like low to mid 80s. And that's a buyer speed figure scale to give people an idea. Roughly, yes. Um, which is why I would say he closes like a 10 claimer because he often did. But now he's sort of evened himself out and he can still run a triple digit uh, pace figure, but now he's running high 90 late pace figures. So he's much more efficient, much better late in his races. And in, in today's field, he's probably going to be pretty hard to catch. You mentioned the two other long shots you like to come with. What's the, the handicapping case for those? Well, one of them's not a long shot. Cody's Wish will probably be second choice. And I think, you know, there's a world where he can win this race. Um, knee deep in snow, you know, ran second to Jackie last time. And given the draw and the, you know, the, the sort of intentions, I, I think they're just going to they're gonna try to do the exact same thing today. It's just get a good trip, sit outside, sort of be closer to the pace today. And, you know, that horse can really finish. And if he's in front of a lot of these turnover home, I think he just stays there. It, it really just, the pace of this race to me just looks sort of like a merry-go-round kind of race. Mm -hmm. I don't see it being super fast. Um, a lot of the horses that aren't going to make the lead can't finish that well, so they're not going to make up much ground. So it just this, this play makes a lot of sense to me. Race five, three five seven, and three seven five. I mean, will you put them? I assume you'll have them both in in either order, or Absolutely. will you press it one and way? I'll, I'll play a small five three seven, probably. Okay. Maybe even a smaller seven three five. Gotcha, gotcha. But uh, some definitely uh, keying around that big favorite. What do you? While we're talking about the forego, which goes as race number five for those of you scoring at home, Paul Matisse, what did you come up with in there? Do you, do you, are you buying Sean's analysis of it? Well, I'm trying to bounce back. I thought sure. If someone's going to pick Jackie's Warrior, there'd be a lightning strike. <laughs> and yet the weather has come correct for us on this Travers Day. But there's a dark cloud. It's probably heading straight for him. Though. It's really hard to believe. But, um, you know, I think the whole key to the race is what Baby Yoda does. Because I think Baby Yoda could run with Jackie's Warrior. In fact, I think he's, he, he might even be faster. He was ahead of flight line in the, in the Malibu. Right. And now he's in post one. And Jose Ortiz, when he's ridden him, he showed more in speed. It's interesting. And I think that's maybe the key to the race. Um, these guys don't usually ride like that anymore. In the old days, I've been much more uh, confident that, that Jackie's Warrior would take some heat. But, and in the old days, I would love a horse like Cody's Wish. You know, an proven four-year-old who's cutting back in these seven furlong races. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dinosaur, so I'll, I'll probably... <laughs> Stay, stick to my ways and try to get Jackie's Warrior. Off my long talk about the old days, it's indubitably a change in riding tactics. I think I'll, I'll take a shot at what I think you're getting at, Paul, and you can correct me. In the old days, um, the, the, the jockeys in the room rode more to win every single race, and you saw a lot of aggression, whereas these days you see a lot more 
uh, passivity and a tendency to ride your horse for the best position your horse can get to, um, as opposed to trying to win the race at all costs. And it leads to some very different tactics. Without a doubt. You, you hit it right on the head. And, uh, you know, and I would think that Baby Yoda's best chance would be, which, as you stated, just descend. You know, try to try to gut Jackie's warrior like they did in the Breeders' Cup and, and hold him off from the inside, you know. But um, they may... They may not choose to do that, and if they do that, you know, Jackie's work could get as loose as he's been in the last couple races. I, I kind of disagree with what Sean said about the... I think his increase in, in uh, his pace figures is because of the slow paces that he's had. I'm not sure he's improved yet. I haven't seen any improvement. I mean, the one thing I get, I, that you have to worry about going against Jackie's warrior up here is that he loves Saratoga. His best races are at Saratoga. So, you know, I, I'm sure he'll come with, with the best that he can... That he can run. I just I haven't seen that improvement yet. I know he's won easy, but he's gotten easy setups. He's gotten easy leads, soft paces, um, what I call uplines. You know, stalking slow paces and uplines. I don't like that. Doesn't impress me. You know, like I don't see that as an improvement yet. Who do you, if I held your feet to the fire for like a wagering approach to the forego? What do you think you're gonna? How do you think you'll play it exactly? Well, not exactly, but generally. Well, I'm definitely gonna go with Cody's wish as the key. I think he's. He's the most likely horse to run in it. I, you know, I, I, I would, I, I guess I just see, see it pretty formful. Five with one, three, six. Five with one, three, six for Paul there. Sean, let's talk about some of these other stakes races. Is there another place that you have a particularly strong opinion or a sequence in particular? You have an, uh, a half clever idea and we can, we can run down the races too, but it's always more fun to, when I have you two, to talk about it a little bit more strategically if, this, if the situation suits. Sure. No, I, uh, I don't know exactly how to bet the race yet, but I'm completely against search results in the, in the instant. I don't see a good scenario for her. Um, and I really like Clarier to win that race. Or if she doesn't win, I think she gets beat by Latruska if Latruska runs one of her better races. Let's talk about that. That's race nine, the personal ensign. And I agree with you. I just think it's it's hard to see a path for search results to to, to both defeat Latruska and then hold off the, the closers. I saw it, I guess, a little bit the opposite way where I thought because we're pretty sure they're not going to be aggressive with search results, that Latruska might be able to get loose on the lead and, and be her own, be her old self. How is it that you have such confidence in, in Clarier if you think Latruska is going to get loose? Well, Clarier is just one of these horses that she runs like elite late pace figures, and those horses can finish into slow paces, fast paces, regular paces. I mean, they're, they're just the most reliable horses on the track, in my opinion. So if, if Latruska goes like she always does, or typically does, and bottoms this field out, she can, she can win, but Clarier is going to pass everybody else. Gotcha. If she goes too fast, Clarier is going to pass her. You know, she, Clarier is just a very, she's gotten very good and, and very solid and reliable, and she can run a bunch of different styles. She, you know, she's not bulletproof by any stress, but in, in, in this field, she's as close as it gets in you like in the race three or three one or maybe a little one three? Yeah, and I'm, I, I may play a little silly three four um, because, you know, Latruska isn't herself and she blows up. I'm, I'm sort of anti Malathot as well and, and just I think there'll be a great price on that combination. The four being crazy, beautiful, crazy longest right. shot in the short field. How do you see uh, this year's personal instant, Paul? Well, I, I echo a lot of a lot of the things you, you guys uh, said. Um, 
you know, Malathot didn't run well at all last time. That, so I'm, I'm against her. But I will note that she didn't act good in the paddock. So this is the type of race that maybe if you're, if you're just playing the race or you're starting off uh, the pick five, you may want to may want to watch there. But off of her last race and off of paper and everything, I'm against Malathot. I thought Clarier won for the first time ever won without a setup last time. Yep. You know, I was I was pretty impressed with her, um, which we knew that she had it. You know, like what what Sean, uh, Sean's been telling me for about <laughs> about a year about Clarier, and I and I agree agree with him, but. Um, you know, search results is just a modern-day stake race handicapping problem. <laughs> you know, he's going from one, you know, one-turn race at Belmont against these horses. Now he's going two turns. In his race at Monmouth, he was on, she was on Lasix, and now she's off Lasix. And, you know, sometimes with these slow paces, it would be interesting to see how they, the tactics they take. Because if, it, if the race goes slow and goes 50, I would like search results, you know. But if Latruska, who, who has, has blown it out a little in the past, you know, and she's not dead, well, then I agree with you guys that search results um, might have a hard time chasing and, and, and winning, you know. It's kind of hard to predict nowadays, you right. know, like how the, how the race is going to go, you know. So, but my gut feeling is that they don't go fast ever anymore, right. <laughs> you know, to where I lean. So I've, that's why I'm not as against search results as I, you know, as... Maybe uh, I should be, <laughs> you know, the, because if he si if she sits out there and stalks Latruska, now all of a sudden she's she's getting the good, you know, the good trip, you know. So I, I'm a little confused about the race, but you know, I would say that I do believe Clarier is the best horse. I've been saying all meet Saratoga is the only place in the, you know, you bet horses where the best horse never wins <laughs> between the turf races and the and the, the the slow paces and the turf races and the, the way the main track is played all meet. It's like the the best horse never wins, but I don't know. I, it's one, two, three somehow for me, but not a strong opinion. It, not not a strong opinion, and I'm, I'm confused the more I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pivot to another stakes race where maybe you have a stronger opinion, Paul. What would you like to talk about next? Well, the the, the very next race, the Sword Dancer, I, I do have a strong opinion. So. so this is an interesting one. I'm very curious to know, especially as a figure-oriented player what you make of Broom. This stat has been going around that just absolutely blew my mind that Aiden O'Brien, I still don't believe it as I say it out loud, that Aiden O'Brien has apparently never won a race at Saratoga. He sends Broom here. We did have our man in the UK, Rob Dove, one of the top 10 pro punters in the UK, uh, making some figure <clears throat> translations. He had the Hardwick as a 103. Um, we saw the form uh, on display in the Breeders' Cup last year. To me, if Broom runs his race, he looks pretty nice compared to some of the tired form on display of the locals. Curious what you think of Broom and all the rest in the Sword Dancer. Well, without a doubt, uh, Broom is the horse to beat. And I, his last race, even though he, he ended up getting beat a little bit more than he than you would like to see, I thought he ran well. He he put the speed away, and uh, Ryan Moore went after him early. I rewatched that race, and um, and I, I he just has the feel to me, and he's already proven it. He's a better he's better left-handed. Yep. You know, and his, if he runs back to his Breeders' Cup race, you know, he's he's probably he's going to win. But I have a I have an opinion in this race, and that and why I like a horse better is that last year I got I have big comments on Gufo when he put blinkers on. I I uh, initially thought he was much better with blinkers, and I also think he's better at three turns, which is what, what we see here at Saratoga in these mile and a half races, and. 
his his first two races when he put blinkers on one of them here, which when he when he won this race, um, they they were pretty fast races. They they would rival um, what Broom can run. His two races after that, he he, he tailed off, but it was weird circumstances in the Joe Hirsch and the and the and the Breeders' Cup, and I think maybe he just went off form and they they started blaming on anything. They took the blinkers off, but I I I like what that Clement has kind of figured out maybe it was not the blinkers. And um, his last workouts are really good with the That's blinkers. That's interesting. That's really interesting. You know. And, I mean, he's only as frustrated as I and so many horse players are with Gufo. He's only a couple of lengths from Adamo, who's going to be a solid second choice in here. And I, I could see the wagering, the paramutual love evaporating for Gufo to the point where he's fairly friendless in this market. And you get more like six or eight to one. What do you think? No, I think he'll be, it, he'll be a little lower than that. But... Uh, I definitely, but there's still value there, and I and I I'm gonna, I like Gufo today. I think he's gonna. Uh, How do you see playing the race? A, a big three six box for sure. That's when we start, and then yep. probably single six and, and some of the, probably that that's a, that's the double right after the the one two and three right. We'll probably yes. some pick somewhere with one two three with six somehow. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Sean, we'll bring you back in for your thought on the sword dancer. <clears throat> I agree with a lot of what Paul said. I think if Broom runs his race, he's he's going to win probably pretty easily. Um, the problem I have with him is he just doesn't always run his race. You know, his form is pretty spotty. So, you know, I'm going to play him out of some stuff too. Um, I agree with everything he said about Gufo. I think you probably are going to get five to one ish on him, which would be a pretty good price. Um, and then I'm going to I'm going to sort of key some stuff around Soldier Rising. Just, you know, the horse is getting better, he finishes great, and frankly, he's just a new face and a bunch of horses I'm so tired of betting on and, and just, you know, enough with these horses already. I just, I, I want somebody new at a price that can that can finish off races and, and run along, so. Spoken like a true right figure maker, <laughs> Soldier Rising. It's coming out of a really fast race. Yeah. But, you know, not to beat the, the drum over and over again, but he ran with Lasix and now he's coming off Lasix. This is the tough, this is the sort of thing where I'm sure Sean faces too. You know, in the old days, these stake races, you'd catch these horses with big figures that nobody, nobody really liked or they didn't believe right. the figures. In fact, some of the figure makers would even project, project them sure. down. You still see that. Yeah. And, you know, you can make your bread and butter. I'm sure Sean did too. Of those horses that would come into these stake races, and, and you could just take them all the time, all day long. But now they're coming in off with these big figures. They're coming off Lasix every single time. So you just have this dilemma every time: Do I take the big figure horse coming off Lasix or not? You know, and it, there's no, you know, the the problem with the Lasix thing and bleeding and horses is if there's no rules. You know, a horse can bleed with Lasix. It can bleed without Lasix. It can. It might run well the first time with, <laughs> without Lasix. It might run bad this, with Lasix the next time when it goes back on. There's just, it's not, it's not black and white. And, and, and that's, what, that's why it, it just is, I talk about the stake races being in a transition of handicapping. And the, I mean, that's the nutshell right there, you know, and over and over and over again. What would help? More transparency about what's happening where? I mean, do you think we could, think it's ever realistic we'd see a steward's report to give us the data to try to figure out some of the complexities you're talking about? It's such a hard game to play anyway, and this does feel like another wrinkle that there's very little data available on. That's got to be part of your frustration. Well, I don't, I, I, it would be better, but I don't think it would fix it. I mean, in order to, in order to get, fix it, which 
I mean, the logical thing is it's we got to go one way or the other. Right. If we're going to go no LASIK, let's go no LASIK with everything. Right. You know, this idea that we're going to bounce back and forth makes no sense at all. We did have a question come in, actually, Paul, and I wish I could remember the horse, but there was apparently somewhere on our airwaves or, or maybe with Steve Bick, you talked about the idea of, of try to remember this right, but like third time off of LASIK. Is this ringing any kind of bell to you? Yeah, a, a little bit with, with a layoff. Yeah. You know, so with a with a fair amount of time to uh, um, to recover. You know, what's the what's the idea? The, uh, well, it's just that that the you know whatever was in in there that's causing the bleeding gets cleared up. Gotcha. You know, and that again, you're just guessing. You right. know, I mean, and I think the trainers to some extent are guessing. I think they're. It seems to me, and I don't know what Sean says, that that the the races without Lasix are starting to run a little bit faster, which my guess is. That they're, whatever they're doing to prevent LASIKs without LASIKs, right. they're getting better at. That's you know just the, the, my guess on the on that. Um, that's very logical. Right. Yeah. I mean that's one of. The, well, I don't want to go too far down the LASIKs rabbit hole. We can we, talk all day. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We we'll do we'll do a whole other podcast on that. Yeah. We've got about five minutes left, and I think unless one of you has something that you're dying to say about one of the other races, it's time to get into this. Uh, I think it's 153rd running of the Travers goes at 5.44 today. Uh, Sean, what about you? You, you ready to talk about the big one? Yeah, sure. It's going to be short. Um, you know, the more I look at this race, the more I don't like it from a wagering standpoint. Um, you know, I, I'm sort of against all the Chad horses, especially Artorias, because I think he'll be the shortest price of them. And I'm just going to throw them out. And You have Artorias just too slow, I'm guessing? I, I think he's too slow, yeah. He doesn't. He's definitely improving, but you know the position I see him being in, in his his relative abilities, I just don't think he can run from there um, and pass enough horses to, to get a piece or factor it, you know, factor in this race enough for me to bet him. You don't even need to do speed figures for that one. You know, that's like a simple one. They ran the same <clears throat> the day after Arturius ran against. I mean, Arturius visually is a horse that you'd like to play. Yes, but. It was the, the track hadn't changed. There was no change in the weather, and he's a second and a half slower, less than 24 hours earlier. You know. Yeah. You know, it's just it's it's just a, a fig guy like Sean is never going to play an <laughs> Arturi. Exactly. You know, it just he's you just, just can't not, do it. He's just not good enough. <laughs> he just and those are the it. type of horses I love to bet against that are visually impressive but slow. Yeah. Because most people go to the visual side and overbet those kind of horses. So does that lead you to the two at the top of the market? I mean, I think there's a reading of this race. Where it's epicenter and cyberknife, and then it's it's everybody else. Is that how you see it, or, or is it more complex than that? For the most part, yeah. I, you know, and I'm not 100% sold on epicenter being the, the clearly the best horse. Um, you know, I think even though he was so visually impressive last time and, and did run fast, I I think he declined just a little bit. Um, it's very very slight, so it probably it, it might not mean anything. But just over the years, I've noticed that, that at even money or, or six to five, even just the slightest little hiccup, you're not supposed to bet on those horses. Um, cheer for them, you know, watch the race, absolutely. But as a bet, it's just a bad idea. So I, that that just leads me to to either passing the race or you know I, I do like Cyberknife, so I'll bet him to win and. and probably single him in some picks. Does the stat, you know, I, like I know that. the answer to this before I ask it, but does the fact of the lack of success that Haskell winners have had coming to the Travers 
and the legitimate point of how different that racetrack at Mamba that day was from what we've been seeing at Saratoga. Do either of those things give you pause with Cybernet? No, no. I, stuff like that, I think, is basically meaningless, and it only helps your price typically, so I, I just don't even factor it in anymore. One more epicenter question <clears throat> for you. Um, before we bring Paul back in, and we will do some bonus coverage of the Jerkins. I realize another grade one, we got to talk about that for at least a minute here. But the one thing that does worry me a little bit about Epicenter is the sudden, his reinvention as a one-run closer, as for a horse who was so tactical earlier in his career. Do you think that could be related to that slight decline you were speaking about? I mean, it could, sure. I, you know, I don't know if it's related to it or if it's just two totally different things that you have to factor in, but I don't like either one of them, you know. So right. it's it's just two very small sort of negative data, data points on a horse that's going to be a very short price. Paul, let's bring you in. Do you have any more strength of opinion generally in this race than Sean does, or do you find it as confusing as he does? I don't find it confusing. I don't think Sean does either. But I, no, I, I'm not confused. It's, it's perplexing betting. Right, right, right. It's betting. And um, I think you guys make some good points that I could like to add on. The Cyberknife, the hit, I agree with Sean that the history means nothing. Especially because I should point out there's now much more time. between. There might even be two weeks now more yeah, that's between those races. But your point that the track being different is important because the, the track at Monmouth, for, for whatever reason, has turned into be this, the fastest track in the world all of a sudden. It's like it rivals Turf Paradise you know, on variance. And this track has been deep all year. And the horses that have trained and ran at Monmouth have not done good. The difference between Cyberknife is that he's worked, um, he's worked and trained, he's here, trained here and done so well. Yeah. So the, like um, pl these Pletcher horses that have been working at Monmouth that come up here have, are the only horses that Todd has that don't haven't run good at all. Right. They, they just ease, you know, because they, they can't they can't get over this track at all. But so I wouldn't worry about it necessarily with Cyberknife, but I think it is a factor in some, you know, in these races. And I think the thing about Cyberknife, which I didn't like at the beginning. But I, in this modern world, you can watch his workouts. Yep. And to, to the point of the Mammoth thing is that his first workout that he worked in company up here about two and a half weeks ago, I didn't think was that good. And then he came back and his last workout was incredibly good. I mean, as good as any horse I've seen work in, in, in a while. So, you know, that leads into that confusing thing, you yes. know, where... I think this race could be one of those races where you look back after and said, this was just two horses like you were saying, and why didn't we just box it for whatever? <laughs> but they have these little things on both of them that you, you don't 100% trust on either one. On Epicenter, I disagree about the fact that he doesn't have speed. I think that's a sign of maturity. And, and everybody too many times gives credit to the trainers that the, well, they taught him how to rate, and or he taught him how to rate. These horses that are good, are smart. Cyberknife, or uh, yeah, Epicenter, has trained himself to figure out, I don't have to go blowing out of here every, as fast as I want. I can just sit back and run down these, run down these pumps whenever I want to. You know, He's figured it out. You know, And I think he's actually run better. I, I'm curious to see what Sean says I, on his pace stuff, because he's, he's a little bit more detailed on his, on his uh, pace stuff. But I, just visually, I just think he's become a better, better racehorse. You he know? looks laid out for this to me. I mean, you yeah. feel like that. It felt like a prep, the dandy. It wouldn't shock me if he takes another step, you know, like, you know, afterwards and, and just wins easy. But there are some things betting-wise that you don't want to just take the three to five and, and you know, and just leave. You don't it. think he'll be that short, do you? Oh, yeah. Wow. I think so. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. That's yeah. very interesting. 
Well, it'll hold your feet to the fire. It depends on how it depends on how much Cybernife gets bad. Right. Because I'm, I was a little confused because I didn't think he would be, you know, the, the the second clear second choice originally. I thought they would spread those around and that, and that center would be the favorite. But I, I'm not sure how that's going to go. Before we hold your feet to the fire for a Travers pick, though, I want you guys to have a little discussion about. It's very interesting disagreement to me with Sean saying you, you had him declining slightly and Paul and, and me kind of echoing that too just from a visual point of view that it seems like he's ready to you know come come forward in this race. What are you seeing specifically to, that leads you to that comment about his decline? So when I say that, I mean he, he ran his middle of the race pace figure, his final time and his late pace figure were all slower than the previous race. And... You know, sometimes there's excuses for that horse that will get steady or whatever, and you could sort of dismiss it. And this, and with Epicenter, like I was saying, it is very slight. I mean, it's like a half a length to a length. Okay. But what I like to see is, you know, even in a slow pace like the Dandy and with that weird trip he got, you know, I'm fine if his early pace stuff drops off and his final time, as long as the late pace figure doesn't. Because that, you know, that's the sort of, fulcrum of it. That's the one that's the most important uh, uh, to my, you know, in my thinking. The fact that he, he, he should have finished, you know, maybe three or four points higher than he did on his late pace figure just gives me pause. Now that said, I also agree that he, you know, as a horse that can rate now and, and isn't just a one-way speed horse, he is better and he's more mature and and he still can get better, I, you know. He right. If he, if if his late pace figure in that last race didn't drop off just slightly, I would love this horse, and I still like him as a horse. And I, you know, I could see myself betting him in the classic, perhaps. It's just today as a bet, I don't like him. as a strong favorite. Right. Well, as a strong sense. favorite, if he's yeah. four to one, I'd bet the hell right, out. Right. 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 Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Paul, who do you think is going to win this race, and, and how do you imagine you're going to play? Well, I would think that Epicenter is going to win, but I do want to make a case for somebody that nobody in the world <laughs> is making a case for, Please. and I think that he can get in it. Please. I think the Derby winner, Rich Strike, that everybody is just totally dismissing as the, this this thing that, that happened out of the blue, which he did get the perfect trip, and I don't expect him to beat Epicenter. I, I think Epicenter is a better horse. However... There, everybody just says that because he ran bad in the Belmont, oh, see, I told you so. He, right. was, no, he was no good. I'm guilty of saying something along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't 100% believe that. First of all, the Belmont has been a huge key race that everybody's, that's, that's gone like over everybody's head. Yep. It was fast. It was way faster than the older horses. Nest has come out and won twice. The horse that we the people ran unbelievable at Mountaineer, and he got beat by Skippy Long Skippy Longstocking. Yeah. And that figure was fast. So... The the only horse that hasn't run good and he's and he's kind of tailed off is Creative Minister. Yeah, but he yeah he's but just he's, his away. form is tailed off. Yeah. But and even he didn't his, didn't run any lower figures. He, he kind of matched up this fast Belmont, which which I think the reason why is because it's a mile and a half. If that race hadn't been a mile and a half, people would be more in tune that it was a how was, fast it was. Yeah, how fast it was. And and everybody kind of thought that well, no epicenter. The, the Belmont was kind of a wasn't that good this year. But it's turned out not to be true. And these are things you got to pay attention to. Are these little things? And love that. You know, I'm a little worried that Rich Strike. I wish that he isn't coming up training into a race where he's going against the best horses on this track. I would, yeah, on this track. You know, coming from Kentucky. Now he has breezed here, and look and look pretty good. But going a mile and a quarter training, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't love that. 
and and that's probably why you know I wouldn't wouldn't make the jump to say maybe even to bet him. What's but, his ceiling in the race? Do you think? Well, I mean, I just think he's he's a horse that can run third to those other two, <laughs> for without a doubt, or maybe even split somebody, you know. And you say all oh, and all of a sudden that try paid that much. Yeah. You know, with because. I think there was a poll where I saw that maybe even you you had the poll where Rich Strike and he was zero percent right. That, that, <laughs> I've never seen a, a internet po- internet poll on anything that, that was zero. Yeah, you could you know what you could the put Trump of green cheese right fifteen percent. It would be one right. <laughs> so, That's great. Yeah, I just think that it, it's a little uh, misleading. So know. so you're gonna try to work him into the try. You're gonna work a lot of things around uh, epicenter and cyberknife. Yes. Let's talk for just one minute about the Jerkins because I think this is an interesting race. I'll ask it this way. Uh, Jack Christopher likely to be odds-on in this spot, Paul. Do you think he's nailed on? Does he have to win? No, he doesn't have to win. I wish I had more of a reason to bet against him because this this is what we were talking about earlier. There's a lot of interesting horses in this race, but I just don't have anything negative against Jack Christopher. You know, The one thing I, I was talking to Sean before we went on, the one scenario where I think he could get in trouble is that he's going to face more pace pressure than he's ever faced. Um, Conagher has, has got to go from the rail, and he's a, he's a serious horse. He's coming off Lasix, and he's <laughs> coming to Saratoga, so he may not be the, the best betting opportunity, but he's going to show speed. He's going to be a factor in the race. And Gunna is a gutsy horse, and he's, and he's not going to just go away sitting on the outside of him. And so to be caught between those two type of horses could lead to, you're going to see how good he is today, I think, at least, you know. And there's a lot of wild horses if you want to take a chance. I, I think it's a, it's a very Saratoga race where, or a contest race, you know, for where you, if you're in a contest, you can come up with some really interesting things with other horses. Give us, give us one of them, and then we'll bring Sean, and we'll wrap this thing up. Well, <clears throat> running Son of a Gun, which is probably going to be about, 30 or 40 to 1. Write your own ticket on that one. He uh, He's putting blinkers on. He worked unbelievable the other day over here at Saratoga without it. And he, he came out of the Gunite in, uh, in a creditive race. And since he, he got beat by the other two horses, he's just going to be totally dismissed. But I think he's an improving horse that, that might be able to get in and, and just going to be totally lost. Because that race was fast uh, on uh, earlier in the meet, the Amsterdam. So... I think that form will hold up okay, especially long term. You know, I don't know about winning this race, and that's why I think accredited is is a is a serious foe too for uh, for Jack Christopher, especially if, if we were talking about if, if there's some kind of pace scenario when he doesn't he doesn't show up. So, you know, I just think that maybe that's a wild horse. And another horse that I've that people make fun of that I think is better than what most people think of is Happy Jack. I, I don't think he's quite good enough to maybe win this race either, but he's another wild one that if you watch his last race, you'll be impressed on how much he's improved and Six. he's getting better. You'll have lots of sixes on your horizontals. You'll mix in some nines and you'll have some verticals with the two and the five to be summed. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll, we'll you, leave it at that. I, I may have you play it for me. You, you, you're, <laughs> you're analyzing it better than I could. <laughs> Sean, who wins the Jerkins? It's a good question. I, you know, I, I agree with... Basically everything Paul said. Um, I think Jack Christopher is probably the most likely winner, but doesn't have to win. Probably not a very good wager. Um, that pace scenario that. What do you Paul think odds is he going to be? That's that, I, I have no idea what he's going to be. I could see him open up uh, two to five, and I could, yeah, I could see I him be two to one. I think he's odds on. I think. Real short. I think he settles at four to five. Yeah. 
Yeah, that yeah. sounds about right. I think that, I it's going to be very hard to. to um, they're going to bet the hell out of that yeah. horse. Yeah. They love those kind of horses. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be very um, tricky. Yeah, yeah. I, you know that pace scenario that Paul talked about is is very dangerous for Jack Christopher, and I think it's probably the most likely scenario. Um, you know, Paul talked earlier about how guys don't send anymore. Joe Rocco's not one of those guys. He's going to send from the rail. And and Jack Christopher's going to face some pressures that he's never faced before. You know, a horse I want to mention, I'm not quite sure he's good enough to win, but I think actuator for, for our very good friend Jake Ballas. That horse, you know, he's tactical enough to be in front of the deep closers and, and sort of be behind that pace scenario. And he might benefit from that and be able to run a really big race. He, he can win, but for an underneath key, I'm, I'm going to say Actuator gets a piece of it. I like it. If I made you make an on-top pick or a specific play, how would you structure that with Actuator under there? Uh, how I would structure it. I would The first bet I would make would be a 6-4 exacta, and then 6 with 4 with those long shots that Paul mentioned, to, so two five in the in the try, mix some of those numbers. Two five nine, sorry, and then you know play six with two five nine with four, and then do something like throw the six all the way out if he gets cooked and just key the four with those other numbers first and second, something like that. Not too bad for an on the fly idea <laughs> there. A lot of complexity brought in. Love to get time to spend with you guys. So glad you joined us on such busy morning. Really spectacular. And I. You go. If you like to hear from guys, go back to the old pro player roundtables because a lot of times there's way less of the picking and a lot more of the the theorizing. And just for me, anytime I get to look into the brains of guys who've been doing this for as long and as well as these two, it's just a treat. So I can't thank you guys enough. Thanks for having me. Always love it. Thanks. We will also thank Marcus and the team here at the Brentwood, the Farrier Bar. Come check us out. We'll give a shout out to our friends at Albany Distilling Company whose uh, vodka is in the Bloody Marys here at uh, the Ferry Bar, and always love working with them. They're also responsible for making our uh, In the Money whiskeys. So, yeah, with that all said, I think we should play the song, Marcus, and we'll go out like that. Here I am! May you win all your Travers Day photos.